This episode of the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by Pirelli and the new Diablo Rosso 4 Sport Bike Tire. Hello, my fellow Brapintonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the man who makes my sandwiches, Mr. Shaheen Avandi! Whoop, 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 whoop. Can we bring that back? I, I, I feel like it never went out of style. I don't think whoop, whoop, whoop ever should have gone out of style. If it did, shame on everyone. The 90s were crazy. The 90s were crazy. Speaking of crazy, I feel like our pre-show was crazy. Our pre-show was nuts. <laughs> it's twenty. There's twenty minutes of recorded pre-show. That I think we're going to leave in as that as a twenty-minute outtake at the end. Absolute nonsense. Oh, we're silly people. We're um, silly people. It's because I like Bollywood's music, <sighs> <laughs> and uh, and I think everybody else should too. Because if you're in a bad mood, put on some nice like Bollywood-style techno, and boy oh boy, I'm will not- that make you happy? <laughs> I'm not vetoing your music intro picks. Just saying. I'm just saying I'm not going to edit them in. (laughs) I just feel like they were very good. (laughs) For those of you who are listening, you might be familiar with a little ditty called Tunuk Tunuk Tun. No. No. If you don't know it, clearly you're not part of the 180 million people who've viewed it on YouTube. I'm editing this out. You can say whatever (laughs) you want. I'm editing it out. like my voice isn't being heard man (laughs) what have you been doing on two wheels sir um i've been teaching people how to ride motorcycles oh that's right you guys had the adv 101 we did yeah how'd that go so good i'm so bummed i couldn't go i listen i want your shoulder to get better so you can come to the next one today is my last day as an invalid nice tomorrow tomorrow the pain begins yeah i haven't worked out in four months i'm excited because i'm only i'm only gonna live like a mile and a half away from you we can start being workout buddies yeah I'm going to build a gym in the house. We're going to do deadlifts, squats. Okay. I'm going to bench press. I got some jump ropes. I just want to do curls. That's all I'm going to do. Curlies for girlies. Make them bigger. The beach is that way. Look at at the arms on this fella. (laughs) Nine millimeter bullets. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a tumor. Um, Yeah. Excited for that. We're both going to get in shape. Cool. I mean, you know, we are in a kind of shape right now. It is round as a shape. It's round and voluptuous. I meet I with the, the doctor this time next week to get the thumbs up, thumbs down on racing. Not this coming. Actually, when you hear this podcast the next weekend, I'm hoping to go race with Omra. How are your feelings? Like, are you feeling optimistic? I'm feeling super out of shape. I feel like just a giant blob. I mean, as long as you fit in your racing suits. Yeah, I leathers. mean. I think it'll be okay. I'm just kind of like, like one, there's like a physical aspect of like, right. just don't feel physically that great. Right. Still have to build a lot of strength back in the shoulder. A lot. Like, oh, yeah. I literally have not been allowed to carry more than three pounds on my left hand for the last month and a half. So. How are you peeing? <laughs> yes, yeah, it was a joke. lot of arc. A lot yeah. of arc. <laughs> uh, like a mortar. <laughs> just throw it in there. Yeah. There. Hi, Coda. Uh, How's it going? <laughs> Coda, what's going on? What's up? He's like, I want to come sit over here on your hairy legs. Come sit on this, you're oh, as hairy yeah. as me. That smells good. Is that yeah. that Tuck Tuck song? Are you guys playing that Tuck Tuck song? I want to. Um, 
but yeah, I haven't I haven't been on the track in in almost five months. So you know that's definitely a depreciating skill. Like oh yeah, it, it is. You know there'll be some rust on it. So like, part of me is like, oh, I want to go and I want to win some races. And another part of me is like, man, I just hope I like can finish some of these races. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. Well, the good news is, what could go wrong? You know, September October is not known for its rainy weather in <laughs> Pacific Northwest. <laughs> What's the weather this weekend again? probably a lot of rain it's super rainy it hasn't <laughs> rained in like nine months it's gonna rain it's that's the thing we've had a very dry summer very every race round that is except for maybe one it's rained <laughs> so you're like really like pretty much every rain this summer has been on a race round so, uh you know. the lesson i'm learning is it's time to invest in some rain tires oh, i'm not doing that again <laughs> not doing that again is that you bowing out during the rain <laughs> i mean like i don't really like that idea but having having seen how bad it can go right and been on the receiving end of that. And then looking at like the points and the realities, like you don't really lose a lot of points in the championship, especially if you can be a, a top contender race winner in our class. Like if you in the dry can win races, right? you can kind of make up the 10 points you're going to lose by not racing in the rain. You no, know, it's simple quickly. economics math. It's all about the return on the investment. Yeah. You know, yeah. work hard, not something work smart, not hard. I don't know. Somebody somewhere has got posters for this shit yeah there's there's definitely some inspirational photos <laughs> somewhere um so so, so the hope yeah. the hope is that tomorrow you get a thumbs up no the hope is tomorrow i'm gonna go for a run and not die the hope next week is i'm gonna get a thumbs up wait i thought today was the last day of you today's the last day where i'm under orders to be in a sling okay not carry anything more than three pounds and not lift my elbow above my shoulder and then so tomorrow you're gonna try to i'm gonna i can start doing shit okay so like basically means like i can start running I can start lifting weights. I can start. Can you do a push up? You think? Because the last time you broke your collarbone, you were like, "If I know I can do a push up, I'm good." Did I do that push up? You did. I did. Okay, so that's all I'm saying. You did. I mean, you, did you did that push up crazy early after your surgery yeah, last that like, time. That was like week two. That was a bad idea. <laughs> you know, we're known for our wisdom sometimes. Wisdom in some things naivete and others and most things <laughs> optimism and most <laughs> that's what it is just blind optimism uh, i'm an optimist at heart shane i think you are yeah um there i have a bunch of topics i want to talk to you about but i i feel like we're gonna hit all of what's them. gonna get oh man this is gonna be a long show <laughs> just judging by our pre-show it's gonna be a long show did anyone buckle up for a four-hour show here we go Let we have come. pirelli sponsoring this episode they're gonna have to get two ad spots because it's the damn thing really, so uh, that's the thing right we're just trying to make give them their money's worth. value for their buck that's it thanks for the dollars <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no there's one i'm gonna like totally lose track of if we don't just do it right meow let's do it so this comes from uh, uh, a reader of ANR, a listener of the podcast, Sean. Um, he was listening to our last show. I'm totally just paraphrasing what he sent me. But he had a really interesting point. And what he was saying was like, the reason BMW or any other manufacturer will never outsell Harley-Davidson is because of Harley-Davidson Financial. Yep. Because Harley-Davidson Financial will loan money to people that other lending or let's say more mainstream lending firms would not. You, you, this is your world. I know nothing about this. Educate me. I think that's a... Is that fair? Is that a fair statement to say? I think it is fair. I think HDFS is known sort of throughout the industry as being a more loose lender and that 
basically in the motorcycle world, uh, and most people probably have never really dealt with this or, or maybe it hasn't been explained to them because I have to explain it on a daily basis at work. If you can go buy a car right now and get a crazy low interest rate for it, like let's say your credit is stellar. You've got an 850 Beacon, right? And you're going to go buy a car at like 0% APR. You can take that exact same credit and go to a motorcycle dealership and get a motorcycle loan from a similar bank and it probably will cost you a couple of percent more. Mm-hmm. So inherently, motorcycle lending is a more, you know, sort of a risky lending. And so they red flag things a lot earlier. It should cost more money. And so your interest rate's a lot higher. And on that on that same token, lending institutes, when it comes to motorcycling, because they look at it as, a, as an easier asset to be lost and, you know, kind of gone forever, they tend to not want to give just about anybody money. They, they make you really work hard for it. So... It's not really looked at as like a necessity here. It's sort of an, a, a luxury item that you buy, and so the banks treat it as such. So it's a higher interest rate, you know, different terms, different different rates. Harley, from my experience, when I worked uh, on the Harley side, was a lot more giving. They were a lot more forgiving about what kind of credit score they're looking at, what kind of history they're looking at. And we used to joke around like, oh, yeah, if you got a pulse on a job, you can get a Harley. And that's not that far off. So I think that's a fair assessment. I don't think if that's the thing that is going to kill you from buying, you know, a non-Harley brand. I, I don't, that's never been the thing of it. It's just here in this country, we have a certain style, a certain, you know, uh, stigma behind what motorcyclists should look like. And it's very like Hollywoody driven and baggers are just the thing. And if you're, if you're looking at baggers, Harley's the king. I don't know that you know, HDFS versus, you know, BMW's uh, uh, OEM bank, whatever it is. Three easy. Right. The three easy one. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know that those two are going to be the, the real, I mean, is it going to be a factor? Yes, but I don't think it's going to be the main factor between, you know, why someone's going to buy a Pan America versus a GS 1200 or 1250. Or in this case, I'm wondering if it's like, you know, BMW trying to sell a Harley style bike versus Harley trying to sell a BMW style bike. I mean, I I wasn't trying to do this, but when I brought up the 3Z, so people that don't know, BMW had this program. It's basically, um, how do you describe it? It's like it's like it's basically. Are you talking about the like an open ended lease thing? The sign in. Yeah, it's got this huge balloon payment at the yeah, end. And our, our, Ducati's doing it too. Premier payment, as they call it, through Ducati. I think BMW's like sign and ride or something. I forgot what it's called. It's called three. It's three easy. It's like three Z. Yeah, but um. I know that program because that came out around when the double R showed up. Uh-huh. That program was really good about putting NASA's in seats. That's yep. part of what made the BMW S1000RR as big of a success in the U.S. as it, it became was. More, it became more approachable for a budget, you know, monthly budget minor person. Yeah, because the payments were ultra low because because right. you were paying these. I can't believe I'm blanking on the term for this, but you're paying a, a, a deflated monthly payment because there was a balloon payment at the end. Right. Do you want me to explain it to you? Yeah, please do. Please. So basically the idea is this. They, they say, uh, they being whoever they are behind closed doors, they say, hey, based on NADA or uh, Blue Book, this motorcycle is going to depreciate X amount of dollars in let's say 24 to 36 months. Mm -hmm. The theory is that the average motorcyclist in America doesn't keep their bike beyond 24 to 36 months. Correct. Right? So they say, okay, so if the average American only keeps their bike for two to three years, then we're going to do the math internally using these books and say, okay, this bike is going to lose, let's say, 
50% of its value. I'm just making up numbers here. 50% of its value in 24 months. So based on that, it's sort of like a lease. It's, it's what I call an mm -hmm. open-ended lease. Yeah. That's pretty much how a lease works as well. So your payments, your payment calculation is based on the value of the vehicle, the, the MSRP minus its, its residual plus whatever extras you put on there. So let's say the vehicle value is $20,000 and the residual is 10,000, then you're making payments on $10,000, that's the difference, plus whatever you've added to it. So your taxes, your your you know, your um uh, exhaust, whatever you want to put on there. So then it makes it where you're making payments on let's say 10,000, let's call it $12,000 as opposed to $22,000. But at the end of that payment, unlike a lease, whereas a close-ended lease, you just basically go, "Hey, I can either sell this I can trade it in, I can give it up, uh, or just refinance it, right? So in the open-ended lease, the the just, just turning it in part is taken away from you. You have to now either sell it, trade it in, or basically pay it off or refinance it. There's no just giving the thing back. And that's why it was such a, a boondog, not a boondoggle, a boon for BMW, because what happened was they take that amount, right? And just roll it into the next bike. Yep, and they they're they're pretty good at it. I mean, even even Ducati's been doing it. And it's it was Ducati basically copy pasted BMW's idea, and they said, "Hey, we're going to call this thing Premier, you know, financing for people who are wanting to buy a twenty four thousand dollars multi strata, but they don't want to make twenty four thousand dollars multi strata payments." And chances are, they're payment people anyways, because that's the way of the U.S. Everybody's payment minded, right? It's like. You want to buy a house? Cool. How much is it? Half a million dollars. Are you going to pay half a million dollars out of pocket or are you just going to make, you know, $2,000, $2,500 a month payments for, for right. 30 years? You see this with the rise of, what is it, firm.com? Right. Where it's just basically everything is just getting financed. Everything's getting financed. So the typical buyer, the I'm going to call it the average buyer, is a monthly budget payment buyer. Their cars, their motorcycle, their house, their credit cards, everything's sort of budgeted on a monthly payment program so that they can afford it. And so these companies, you know, BMW and Ducati are basically saying, hey, you can have the quote unquote finer things in life without having to pay that premium dollar for it. So case in point, the S1000RR when it first came out, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was more more expensive than the typical, you know, inline four liter bike, but your payments were better than an R1 or a CBR1000. And so it did pretty well on that on that segment but harley doesn't have that program harley just says hey we can you know give you money and like have you pay for like 84 fucking months if you want and your payments are lower anyways yeah the there's a fear of the idea of a balloon payment because it connotates that it's going to like have this crazy like it's going to overgrow somehow the truth of it is at the end of that once you've once you've signed that agreements the dollar amount that's at the end of that payment is what it is just a residual payment that's what you basically owe still on the bike. right on it'll the bike. never go up or down so at the end of the day if you if you're fortunate enough to be able to pay that off have at it if you're not and you want to go borrow money against it the amount of money that they've sort of made this bet against is pretty safe because they don't want to get fucked either so they say hey based on this amount chances are three years down the road whatever it's worth you can just go to your local I mean, actually through our dealership, you know, if you're doing the Ducati version, most dealerships should be able to just get you refinanced anyways, but you can go to your credit union and get a way, way better uh, rate for it and kind of carry on your payments for like another two or three years and end up with a five-year payment anyway. So it's a cool idea, but it still doesn't take away the the point that Harley just simply buys down to a 
a, a lower credit rating buyer. Yeah. I see this two ways. Um, one, I think there is something to be like, hey, you know, there's, it's probably more of a gradient where it's like, okay, you've got a 600 credit score. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll give you a loan, but it's going to be like 15% Insane. or something. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if your score was 700, it'd be like 10%. And if it right. was 800, it'd be 5%. I mean, making numbers up for you right, for right. sake of it. And, you know, at the other end of that, let's say your credit score is 500. It's like, yeah, we'll sell 30% loan. If you'll if you'll take that craziness, like you'd be better some off. Some people do. Card. I mean, right? If you if you've got bankruptcies and stuff like that, and you're for whatever reason you have to have that thing, yeah. There's third tier lenders that'll. Get, I think the limit is like twenty nine percent. Yeah, it's a credit card basically. That's insane. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. And those are lower. You know, it's a lower term. They typically don't go beyond forty eight months. Yeah. Um, and I remember back in the day, signing a couple of these and just looking at these people dead in the eyes, like, listen. You're paying a lot of money per dollar that you are borrowing for this thing. Yeah. The smart thing to do is make 12 or so payments so that your credit score goes up because these people report every month like every lender does. So then after 12 payments, look at your credit. Hopefully you've made other payments on other cards and you've, you've brought your score up and now maybe you're at a 640 or a 650. Go get a regular loan for this thing. You, there's no fucking reason on earth why you need to pay that kind of money. Yeah. I know a lot of people are listening right now like, who the fuck pays that kind? They're not in your shoes. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got their own thing. And I'm not going to ever judge somebody for wanting to buy a, an R6 or whatever. But if your credit is not good and that's the cards you've been dealt, probably the smart thing is to say, fuck that. I don't need that right now. I'm going to go fix my credit. But like, if that's the thing you're going to do, just be smart about it. <laughs> Choices. Choices. So, so that being said, right, it's more of a gradient. But lowering that where that gradient kicks in, uh -huh. I think definitely has an effect. And we can see that from the uh, pre-credit crisis. You know, you saw how many people were buying motorcycles because, right. you know, money was cheap, as they say, right? It was really easy to get a loan. You could show up. You could get a lot of money for not a lot of interest. We saw that that fueled the housing market. It fueled the, the car market. It fueled the bike market. It wasn't even the interest. It was, the interest was still high. It was just they were giving money to almost anyone. They do it to anyone. That's they, what fucked everybody. Right. And so there is an element of like, 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 like what Sean brought up. Like, well, if you will literally give anyone a loan, yeah. then yeah, you are going to bolster sales to some extent. But I think what gets lost, and I was actually working on this uh, before he came over, did you see the press release that came out that Harley Davidson was like Pan America twelve fifty special best selling adventure yeah, trail bike? Yeah, no numbers, no anything. Best selling is a is actually a, a term that means nothing. Nothing. Best selling. It was. Was that mean? It was the what, easiest. Today? To, Yesterday. It was, it was easiest to sell. In the last five hours, it's, like <laughs> it sold the best. What does the best selling mean? Um, most people take that to interpret it sold the most units. Right. But that's not actually what that term means. I could go. I could digress. It's a fun lawyer. It's it's marketing cool marketing thing. speak it's, for we're doing really good. Come buy our thing. If we're doing good, everybody else should be buying it. Well, and it's really interesting. They say it's the special, the twelve fifty special that that right. was the best line. So they're like, oh, so now we're we're parsing out by trim level. Uh huh. Okay. So, um, dived into that topic. I mean, I don't want to get. There's a lot of shitty things you can say about that because I think it's super Orwellian PR speak. But to their credit, Harley Davidson has sold a, a ton of Pan Americas. They've sold just about twenty one hundred Pan Americas this so far this year. Um, to put that into reference, BMW sells about that many GSs over the course of an entire year. Right. Uh, I don't have 
direct numbers yet for other brands, but I think it would be safe to say that the Pan America as a family is selling better well. than expected. Right. And you'd be like, okay, wow, great job. Okay. I mean, actually, without any mm-hmm. reservations, yep, clap it in. 2,100 bikes, nothing to sneeze at. Good job. But, and this is this is one of the things like going back to what Sean was, was asking. Think about that for a second. Harley Davidson has over 700 dealers in the US. Mm-hmm. That means every dealer sold three bikes. Mm-hmm. That's not asking a lot. Mm-mm. I guarantee you every dealer had three people show up and be like, yeah, I'd like one of those. I'll I mean, take a pre-sale on that. That's sort of the idea, right? If you have enough outlets, if it trickles out of each outlet a little bit, then you're going to sell more than anybody else. But, you know, I was thinking about the point that they made, though. If if it's, if HDFS is the driving point behind why Harley's selling more bikes, the only reason I disagree with that is I worked at the Harley dealership for years, and we I don't remember ever talking to somebody that was like, oh, yeah, I'm buying a Harley because I can't buy anything else. So it, was, it wasn't really like a selling point. Harley's, you know, I guess more loose standards on credit really wasn't a selling point. We, we hardly ever got anybody who was like, yeah, I've been trying to buy a Honda and I couldn't, so I'm going to buy a Harley. Oh, yeah, I've been trying to buy a Yamaha. I couldn't afford it, so I'm going to buy a Harley. I think it's a, I think it's the totality of the circumstances. Yep. Does it help that, that Harley Financial will, will give lower credit scores Absolutely. alone? Absolutely. Does it help? I mean, to put it into reference, BMW has about 160 dealerships in the United States. So it's almost, it's over three to one. Right. So does that help? Yeah, absolutely that helps. Does it help that there's like 200,000 Harley Davidson loyalists in America? Absolutely. Does it help that the Pan America is a pretty good bike? Absolutely. There's so, a lot of good things going for that model right now. And it, it, I'm glad it's succeeding and it ought to for, for what it is, especially for like their sort of first real try at this, at this segment. Harley saw that this is a growing segment and they did the right thing, which is what it's sort of cracking me up a little bit because we're always talking about how the, the cruiser segment is sort of shrinking yet all these other brands like BMW are like, we're going to try to sell some of these things. You know, it's a, it's a big ship. Even if it's sinking, it's a huge ship and it sinks slowly. So we're going to keep trying to work what we can, you know, out of it. I'm trying to pull up the number of V-Rods that were sold. Because this is an interesting thing. Because the V-Rod, yeah. when you actually get, I can't remember off the top of my head, when you get down to the numbers, it wasn't like it was a bad selling bike. No. It just wasn't a very good selling bike in Harley-Davidson terms. And that's kind of something I want to loop back probably in about four or five months time when we have had about a year's worth of Pan America sales because I think it's I think that number is going to settle around three thousand units. I bet it'll still do better than the V Rod. I think I don't know. I feel like the V Rod. I want to say like the V Rod sold like ten thousand units its first year or something like that. Really? Well, yeah. But see, here's here's why I think Harley does well. Harley throws a lot of money and effort into their marketing campaigns when it comes to selling motorcycles. They they know they have a huge uh, set of you know just just a huge audience looking at them all the time. And so I remember when the V-Rod came out, there was all these videos, you know, these long Discovery Channel shows about the V-Rod and how Porsche helped them and all the testing they did and how cool it is and this, that, and the other. And everybody's eyes were on there. Everybody wanted to talk about that crazy silver motorcycle. And so Harley now is saying, cool, this is the segment that that is growing and we're going to throw as much as we can at this. It's, it's crazy to me to see, and I mean this in a good way, to see how many sort of press fleet vehicles that they have that they're throwing out there and letting everybody ride it. As soon as you're like, 
oh yeah, I've got some following on Instagram. They're like, here, ride the ride this thing. Go show it off. Oh, I'm a I'm a you know semi-famous uh Instagram, you know, celebrity, I guess. Here, go ride this thing and show, you know, show everybody. So I'm I'm and I'm hearing so much buzz around it, and I'm not making fun of this. I think it's brilliant. But I think Harley is the kind of company that has the kind of reach and kind of scope to be able to do stuff like that because you know, you look at a smaller company like say Ducati, you don't see them throwing a bunch of multi-strata V4s at everybody because I don't think they have the bandwidth, whereas Harley does. And I think they're putting a lot of their eggs in this basket, hoping that it'll sort of help revitalize the brand a little bit this through this liquid-cooled platform. Because you know there's going to be more bikes based on this. That that Sportster well, sure. is right around the corner. For sure. Um, the Sportster is, is in there. Um, there's some... Yeah, that, that that engine was made as a platform. Yeah. And it'll be different displacements. It'll be different genres. Um, so, like, from a cost perspective, it makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, I'm like, I really... The, the number in my head was, like, V-Rod was sold, like, 10,000 units a right. year. And that was a failure in Harley's mind. And that's why they killed that motor and that that bike. So, it's kind of interesting to me, like, like we've gotten to this point now, we're like, like we're, we're going to be excited about 3,000 units. I'm really curious to go into a Harley sort of Harley dealership and and talk to the back-end people, you know, your service people, and see how Harley is treating the mechanical side of this 1250 engine. Is it, because one of the things that you always heard about the dealership side people bitching was the V-Rod needed a separate set of tools to work on than the rest of the Harleys. Well, because it was metric. Right. <laughs> and so did they do this with the this 1250 platform? Is it also a metric? Because as a mechanic, if you've invested all your money in a set of you know standard tools, and suddenly you got to go buy a bunch of metrics, you're like, "Fuck!" I mean, I would really hope that the mechanic in your shop has got standard and metrics. But yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what, like if your that, entire that's the drawer of the tools that the right. probably never gets open. If your entire collection is standard, and suddenly you got to buy a metric for one motorcycle, you're like, "Fuck that bike." So I'm wondering. I'm wondering if that's still a thing. If they've kind of go, gotten over that hurdle, I'm really curious to see what the attitude of the seller is about this motorcycle because i mean you and i have talked about it one of the things that'll help either with the success or failure of a model i think is the language that is used in the dealership side if you can't talk about it properly if you can't promote it properly and engage about it properly then it's not going to do well not in your dealership anyway yeah it'll be interesting be interesting to see um how many bikes do you think are going to sell by the end of the year harley yeah pan americas mm -hmm. three grand because I think, I think that initial two thousand—that's the pre-orders, that's the hype, that's the—I want it right now. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting into like the, well, kind of looking for a deal, kind of looking because like now you're kind of getting deal buyers. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, end of the model year, huh? What do you got on discount? What do you got on deal? It's gonna be a little bit harder to sell that bike. I think the hype happened, and like I said, like it's like three bikes per dealer. It's not a lot, you know. Yeah. So it's not like like you can say like oh it's been a big success twenty one hundred bikes like it's three bikes per dealer it's not like it's ten bikes per dealer. So like how many multi strata V fours have you sold? It's fuck probably fifty of them. Right. Really popular bike. Super bike like, that's doing really well for Ducati. Yeah, really really well. Now Grant and Ducati again, again from my dealership though I don't know how a dealership in Southern California is doing. Probably doing just as well because the, the market's a little bit better down there. You know, it's funny you say that, but I remember when I was coming back from Cabo in 2017, and I stopped in LA at one of the one of the bigger uh, Ducati dealerships. 
I didn't see any Multistratos of any kind on their showroom. And I said, hey, are you guys selling out of these? They're like, no, we can't sell them at all worth of shit here. Hmm. We sell sport bikes here. Hmm. And in my mind, it's like, fuck, you're in California. Like some of the coolest off-roads that I've, you know, off-road roads that I've been on is in California. So I wonder about that. I think, I think even still, like the fact that you're selling 50. Right. It's not like you're selling five. Yeah. Oh, it's every, every week we're selling a bunch of these things. So that's, that's the thing. And that, and that was the same thing. Like when the Street Fighter V4 came out, like tons of them got sold. And it's like, I remember talking to Ducati about it and be like, well, we'll see what next year's like, because mm -hmm. this is the buzz year. This is the, the right. new year. This right. is the hype year. And then that goes away and you have what's called the long tail, mm -hmm. the long tail of the sale. And that's where probably I've still other, sold more than three of those. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So what's the long tail? Like if the height is three, what's the long tail look like? Right. You know, like what's the half life of this motorcycle? And, and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe Harley Davidson's got like a, a promotion plan and maybe right. there's a thing and maybe it's just, maybe it could just be a steady, like the Hayabusa. The Hayabusa has been steady Eddie for Suzuki. Every year they sell 1,500 of those fuckers, even though it's a 30-year-old bike, <laughs> you know? Um, so it could it could change. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see. Uh, uh, I'm really curious to I'm see. Watching. I also wonder if they have sort of like a regional segmented map of who's selling that style of motorcycle mm. you know like i don't imagine they're going to sell a ton of them in florida but maybe you know georgia tennessee will do better because there's more yeah right there is there is a certain geographical component especially in the u.s when it comes to motorcycle type yeah you know that's that's totally fair um and i, and I think you could probably make the same assumptions in europe to some extent to some extent yeah so um, could be interesting to watch. Uh, you know what will be interesting to watch? The rumor that a Ducati Street Fighter V2 is on the way. That rumor is super hot to me. That rumor has been around for a while. It has, but remember, they did that before. They had the 1098 Street Fighter and then the 848 version came out. And some of mm -hmm. us were like, mm, 848. And then I wrote it and I was like, well, fucking 848 makes more sense. It's a way better bike. Way better As bike. As an owner of a 1098, right. the 848 was a way better now, bike. Now, I'll say this much. I think the V4 Street Fighter is one of the most perfect street bikes I've ever ridden. I love that thing so much, it's sick. But I've also ridden the Panigale V4S, and I've ridden the Panigale V2, and I think the Panigale V2 is such a more use usable bike. Oh, yeah. So I think that from that perspective, I think the V2 Street Fighter should happen. I, I hope that rumor comes true, but also I'm looking at it from a model lineup perspective, and right now there is a dead space between a, a, a Street Fighter V4 and a monster 937 yeah right huge space. and so the space that was there before was a monster 1200 which was 150 horsepower motorcycle so if they put yeah. a <laughs> right if they put that street fighter v2 there and i got 150 plus horsepower naked bike that will fill that gap so i think that would make sense i think it makes a ton of sense we saw a spy photo from italy that you literally couldn't tell anything of you're like kind of just taking their word. Like, this was a Street Fighter V2. And you're like, is it? It is? Uh, I saw one publication was like, oh, it's right here next to the Pikes Peak Multistrad. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> so if you're saying that's a V2, I'm not even sure if that's correct. They've really gotten good at the at hiding it. Yeah. Um, but that that bike has been rumored in the space for a while. The fact that we're starting to see some some rumors and some percolations and some photos kind of makes sense. I feels a little too early for an Eichma release, but Ducati could surprise us here and maybe supply 
chains are slow enough that like that bike's really going to come out like in june of next year rather than say like february or march so <sighs> i wish they would do february that was so nice so, as a dealership yeah teasing it right now i mean like this all the supply chains are messed up so. everything's messed up did you hear about the price of um containers is like tripled no but i did see that uh and I've, I've actually been on the receiving end of this rental car prices have gone up because they can't get enough cars from oems because of the computer chip shortages yeah. yep I mean, there's yeah. like older rental cars still being rented out. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize like rental cars only stay in the fleet for like six months or something. Yeah, not even. Super short. I feel like as soon as they hit like 15,000 miles, they're like, next. Yep. <laughs> and they go, yeah, they go right out to like dealer certified, pre-owned. Well, they, they have their own. Most of these like Hertz and all these guys have their own sales uh, uh, offices as well. Fleet sales and all that nonsense. Just what you want is an old rental car. Those are always fine. It's Those are fine. fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Um. <laughs> Really excited about that V2 Street Fighter idea. I think it should happen. I think it'll probably get priced. I would I would bet there's going to be like a $2,000 delta between it and the actual V2 Panigale. Because that, that, that's like 17 and change. A 17 and change. It's like 17.2 or something yeah, like so that. Like, I would see this as like a fourteen nine ninety nine bike or something. That's a killer price point. I was thinking it'd be closer to like 16. Nah, it'd be too close to the Panigale. It's a, little, a little too close, isn't right. it? I mean, think about... It always amuses me the delta between a Panigale V4 and a Street Fighter V4. It's huge. Oh yeah, the S model because you have like a twenty, almost twenty eight and a half thousand dollar bike versus like a twenty four, twenty five thousand dollar bike. It's like for some plastic. Damn. So I'm hoping it'll be the same. Because oh man, imagine if it's like thirteen nine ninety nine. Woo. That feels too That's cheap. way too It won't be. But the thing is, it's interesting in this in this category. It's an interesting space because you have bikes like the KTM 890 Duke R, right. which is like 13 grand. Yep. Uh, the MV Augusta Brutale 800, which is like, oh, I can't remember the top of my head, but it's probably close to like 20. Probably. <laughs> uh, Triumph Street Triple RS, which is 15-ish, 13-ish. Man, I probably should look that up. The RS model? Yeah, I think it's closer The RS to is a little pricey. Yep. Yeah. This this thing would fit in such a weird category, right? Because it's still a 157 horsepower motor if they don't detune it. See, I think they I think they will have to. Like, so yeah, it's 155 in the Panigale V2. I'm thinking this is gonna be like 145. I doubt they'll do that. I think they have to because the V2 isn't peaky, but it's still it's still a track bike, sport bike. Right. And I think I think you have to put a cam on it. Move that torque curve a little bit more to the middle to make it a fun street bike. Right. And you're going to lose some power with that. Maybe you can keep it like 150, but I'm thinking 145. I, I don't disagree with that idea. I think it's a smart idea, but I'm looking at what they've done with the V4. And I know it's different power, but the V4 Street Fighter, really the only difference between it and the Panigale is the final gearing. The V4 Street Fighter runs the same gearing as a V4R, not a, a V4R Panigale. Well, I mean, those motors are different. I mean, they have different camshafts. The torque curve is different. Uh, yeah. No, they are. Are you sure? I'm telling you, they are. Okay. Are. Listen, you're the you're the well educated uh, uh, journo here. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Why does Ducati always want to know where my location is when I go on their website? That's because Papa Dominicelli is making sure you're still here. Why do we always have to accept the cookies, even though I said I don't? I don't want cookies. I'm on a diet. <laughs> it's never true. Don't ever not offer me cookies. I always want cookies. Oh, man. Like to the point where it's in our vows. Oh, that's right. It's in your vows, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where is this, where is this daffy machine? 
Okay, how am I gonna find that? Because just even in the horsepower, there's a there's a, like a seven horsepower difference between the Panigale V4 and a Street Fighter V4. Hmm. There's a little bastard. All right, this is bad. This is bad radio. That's a Panigale V4. Mm-hmm. You see, it's kind of. Yep. Where's that? What's that peaking at? Like, it's like 120, right around 10,000. It's got a nice little power curve between 9,000 and 11. Let's call it 12. Between 9 and 12, it's around 120 newton meters. And you click on the Street Fighter, and it's way more. So from 9,000, at 9,000, it's it's at 120. But at like 9,500, it's at 140 newton meters. Hmm. And then out to 12 it stays up to around 140 newton meters. And you don't think that's just because of final final drive gearing? No, that's the that's a dynameter. Gearing wouldn't take effect in it. Oh, fair enough. Um yeah, no, it's just a different cam at the end of the day. Hmm. And maybe compression. There might be a little compression in there. I can't remember off the top of my head. So you're thinking about 145 horses? North of 140 for sure. I think it has to be just to be in that yeah, space. Yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, in that price range. Yeah. If it's coming, if it's starting at one fifty five, I yeah, I would put money on one forty five to one fifty, and then, and then that probably gets down to your point of like, what do you want the marketing number to be? What what oh, number one fifty? What they number do you need it to be? They to have sell? to tell people one fifty for it to be exciting, and maybe they can find that. Maybe they move it down, move that curve, yeah. and then oh well, we and price wise, we I, diggled the exhaust uh-huh. and we put some inlet uh-huh. and we did a thing and we found a couple more home, a couple more ponies. Question is, is it going to have wings? Probably Ooh, not. Interesting, because the V two doesn't. Yeah, V two shit just for giggles. It ought to, and then no, it shouldn't. I actually, I, you actually know, actually, I was thinking about the pricing, and I still think it should. It'll probably be fourteen nine ninety five because the Monster nine thirty seven is like twelve to thirteen thousand dollars already. Yeah, give it a little cushion. Yeah, gotta have a little, a little cushion. Little I like it though. I like it too. Um, probably show a suspension, cast wheels. Oh yeah, I bet that all Brembo M four thirty twos. Nothing top shelf, nothing fancy, but I'm not gonna miss it. No. I bet you would ride that thing. And go fucking this thing's great. I think I think hardcore Ducatisi will be stoked on it because it's that V twin yep. single sided swing arm V twin all nine yards. Ooh, what if they put a double sided swing arm? Oh man, somebody will. Many people will lose their <laughs> shit. Uh, V two has a single sided swing arm. It does doesn't it? yeah. Okay, I think they'll stick with it then. I think because they, they made that mistake because it was it was double sided and then people were like, ah, yeah, the eight nine nine the nine five nine. I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I like it. I like because you know, how when you ride your motorcycle, you look back at your swing arm all the time. Uh, you know what? Yeah, okay, yeah, sure, you don't. <laughs> but you know what I do do what when I get do, off a ride? Do. I sit there and I stare at that bike and I go, "Fuck, that's a hot bike." It's a pretty bike. That's it's a such a pretty bike. bike. I want to go ride that bike. Again. I took our I took our V four Street Fighter out for a little two hundred mile jaunt. Yeah, last weekend and I can't stop staring at it. It's just ugh. I rode at Hareth on the Panigale V2. I did the launch there. It's a good bike. Mm-hmm. For for like, if you want a bike that you're going to go have a good track day on, that's the bike. I I tell anyone that would ask me at the shop that I think that is one of the most perfect little sport bikes ever made. Yeah. Like, Shaheen's Motocorsa money would go to a V2 Panigale before I went to a V4 Panigale. That's what I was just about to ask you. Yep. I don't know if I'd say the same. No, I mean, I would do little things to it, right? I mean, for I, I would change would. the wheels to lighter wheels and yeah. little stuff there and there. But I have yet to ride one of those and not fall in love, just absolutely fall in love with it. 
The V4 I, is a phenomenal motorcycle, but fuck, it's so much bike. I remember you and I have been talking about, yeah. like, there was just something about squeezing the life out of a bike that's got less power and having fun with it as opposed to being on a 200 plus horsepower motorcycle and be like, all right, all right, there's a, there's a certain amount of shit that I can handle and this one's above that. Don't get me wrong. I like myself a Panigale V4. But when I ride that bike, like, it's an undertaking. Uh-huh. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, Even with all of its electronic nannies, you're still like, okay, this is a this is an axe murderer that's just kind of holding itself at bay. Yeah, I'm not saying it's fun, but when you <laughs> ride a Panigale V2, it's enjoyable. Super. You're sitting there like, I'm having a lot yeah. of fun on this bike. It's manageable. Uh, I can use all the power. I am not like holding on for dear life. Whereas like the Panigale V4, like I'm just managing chaos. Just, I mean like, and the thing just keeps revving. Yeah. You know, you hit like 10,000 RPM. It's like, let's go motherfucker. We got four more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think, I think, I think this could be good. Um, as a street fighter owner, a V twin street fighter coming back into the lineup appeases me. I think it'll do well. As a fan of the 848 model, a middleweight ish mm -hmm. version appeases me. Um, just what are we what are we waiting for? Let's make it happen. Start making them, motherfuckers. Let's go. You got the parts. Send me send me the stuffs. Show me the Street Fighter. And with that, where are we, where are we in the show? Uh, we gotta take an ad break. You wanna take an ad break? Well, yeah, let's take an ad break. All right, we'll be back in a minute. The Pirelli Diablo Rosso Four is the newest addition to the popular Diablo Rosso family, and is specifically designed for sport bike, hyper naked, and crossover motorcycles. Giving riders a superior level of grip, the Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 gives precise feedback and control in both wet and dry conditions, raising the benchmark for high-performance sport tires on the road. Available in a wide range of sizes, the Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 is the culmination of nearly 20 years of testing and R&D in the factory, on the roads, and on the track with World Superbike. Visit your local dealer or online retailer and pick up a set today. Oh, and we're back. And um, you know what? I saw this story and I thought of you. Okay. Apple warns that motorcycle vibrations can <laughs> break their phones. Because I know how much you put your phone on your bike. I do. I use the shit out of that thing. Yeah. And who is it? Um, I have gone through, I'm not kidding, three phones before I figured out what the problem was. Now, I hope they're not listening, but this was when I used to have my, my Google phones, the Pixels. Mm-hmm. And I kept going, what a piece of shit. This thing just, the battery or the, the camera keeps dying on it for some reason. And then on this third phone, I'm like, wait a minute. There is one culprit here. It's this 240-pound idiot on his Multistrada going off-road all the time. And that thing's just bouncing around like a bobblehead, just weeble bobbles up there. And then it dies. And so Google was nice enough to be like, sorry, it keeps breaking. Here, let's add, let's add us a new one. Here's another new one. Here's another new one. And then I talked to our friend David, and he had a really weird-looking contraption. It's got wires and stuff like that on his handlebar mm. of his Triumph. Mm -hmm. I was like, "What is that for?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, I've, I've lost you know two camera phones because of it. It just vibrates them to death." This was like three years ago, and so I've been using that, haven't lost any phones. Interesting. So now there's other other brands now that make motorcycle phone mounts that have a little dampening system on them that'll stow it, you know, stop it from rattling your shit to death. What I'm curious with, so I mean, this is like you just said, it's kind of a known thing. You're actually the second person I know who've had this issue. Huh. Um, like it hasn't happened to me. 
I, I mount my phone on my Street Fighter. I've got, I guess I've gotten lucky. Um, I think on road's mostly fine. I think certain bikes like, you know, big well, like Harley's make it worse. Well, if you said like on a, let's on a Harley, have you ever, have you ever be been on a Harley where it's just sitting there idling? It's just shaking, like, shaking, shaking, like shaking, 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 shaking. <laughs> no, dude, the R18 is like butter smooth. <laughs> when that, when, no, but the thing is, even at the stoplight, the R18, the handlebars start shaking. <laughs> they get into like a, uh, a cadence. Dude, my, my street glide that I had, the first time I came to a stop and put it in neutral, just sitting there, I was like, is this thing going to fall apart? I mean, I've never seen something just violently shake so much. And it's just that the handlebars, like I wasn't shaking sitting on the bike. It was just the handlebar. I was just going yeah. bananas. So I could see like, you know, if 40 something percent of motorcycles are Harley, we're going to lose some phones on that thing. Right. <laughs> What's interesting to me is a bike like yours, mostly tried to be before the bike, like I was just on the R18 bagger mm -hmm. uh, and the transcontinental where they have that compartment. Right. So on the R18, there's actually like a clamp that kind of like comes down and like holds your phone in place. Huh. Now, granted that whole thing is kind of rubber mounted. Right. But I'm kind of curious because like that's a bike that vibrates a lot. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious on some of these bikes, like, okay, like, is that going to shake the phone? Like, how sensitive is this vibration issue? You know, I think the, the safest spot for your phone when you're riding a motorcycle is in your pocket. It's in your pocket, yeah. Because your your body is moving relatively less than the actual motorcycle is. Oh, way less. But in your body, kind of like yeah, I, I got, have especially natural, my body. I got we all have kinds natural of, dampening oh, in dude, our bellies. All over this, I am the yeah. safe, most phone safe body ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for body. those of us that use them all the time. <laughs> Oh, look at him. He's got a good phone body. Look at that vibration. Dad phone mean. bod right there. Um, for those of us that like to use these things constantly and utilize them, part of our rides, it's got to be on the handlebar. And that is the shakiest spot in the damn motorcycle. And that's the thing. Because, see, for me, it's like a whole, it's a whole issue. Motorcycle companies are so bad at their phone integration that we have to mount our phones on our yep. handlebars. Yep. But our phones are getting like with their crazy, especially now, the camera seems to be the only thing like defining different generations of phones now. I mean, think about how much they put into these little lenses. I could care less. Yeah, but to shake it that much? I know, I know. It's going to fuck it up. It's like an Etch-a-Sketch. I, I hate to sound so vain, but half the reason I bought this phone was, was the camera. That's the thing. That's that. That's literally like, why would you upgrade? Well, this one's got the telephoto lens on right. it. Okay, cool. I guess I guess that's why you're going to get my money, album. I mean, majority of the marketing videos that we do for the shop is with a damn iPhone. Yeah. So I was like, it does the thing. Business expense. Fuck yeah. Suck it, IRS. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Dad's getting paid from Pirelli <laughs> and I'm and I'm expensing my iPhone. <laughs> uh, there there is a there is a now more mainstream motorcycle um you know handlebar mount company. I'm not gonna name them until they pay us. <laughs> <laughs> but like, they are like now capitalistic minds. It's it's part of their thing now for motorcycles it's a dampening system that you buy it and it charges your phone the way you it's a brilliant design they better pay me for them you say the goddamn name but <laughs> uh, i don't even know which one you're talking about so i'm gonna have to ask you after the show um <laughs> daddy needs that one daddy needs that paycheck uh yeah i mean for me I, I think this is just it's more like an interesting intersection of technology in our daily life yeah like Oh, look at this problem that wasn't a problem five years ago. Listen, I need this microchip that listens to me all the time to be right in front of me all the time. Mm -hmm. You know? And mm -hmm. sometimes that means it's got to be on the handlebar of my bike, just looking at my face vibrating at it all the time. I put this at Apple's feet, though. And and it sounds like it's other manufacturers. It's just Apple that came out and said it. 
I mean, Apple's the, the Harley Davidson of uh, phones. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the, for those who don't know, it's the image stabilization and the autofocus that have issue. Right. And they just, they're trying to like not vibrate and then they just give up. And that's an issue. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I think the trick, actually one of our friends did this. He, Our friend Jonas bought a military spec, you know, like a, a smart device, like a, a pad. It's a, I think it's a Samsung, but it's a mil spec. It's one. like the, it's like the tough, tough book version. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But he's got that mounted on the handlebar of his little KTM 350 Enduro, and took that fucking thing to Moab and did like white rim trail on there. And I was like, did it work? He's like, yeah, perfect. Well, that's kind of smart because then you could tether it to your phone via Bluetooth. You yeah. keep your phone in your pocket. It's got in GPS in it, so he uses that for this Gaia app and like you yeah. know does all the stuff with it. I'm like. That's actually genius. It's a bigger screen. It's like, you know, I don't yeah. know, like 10 inches or so, probably bigger. So it's a bigger, more clear screen that you can see everything. I was like, fuck, I might do this thing. And it's it's mil spec. It's designed to be beat the shit out of. You know what I just want? Hmm. I just want one screen. I just want my dash. I just, I just want, want my dash to be Apple CarPlay. My, okay, you know, I've talked about this before. I'm done. I don't need it to be CarPlay per se. Fine. Android but Auto for those of you with non-Apple It needs to be phones. better, whatever it is. It's just garbage. <laughs> just hot garbage um there's just no pleasing you two on this podcast there is nothing we are very surly uh you know what does please me though what? this triumph speed triple 1200 double r i am so glad i'm not the only one of the two of us that likes this thing yeah you, i've got a little bit of a hard-on for classically styled sport bikes and yeah. this thing i i i think this is one of the most handsome triumphs i've ever seen do you love it um twenty one thousand dollars worth though i mean that's still less money than a than a well it's about the same price as a street fighter non-s and this one if it's the rr does that mean no because is triumphs rr their top spec well like all in suspension the only yards okay so so break this down right triumph speed triple 1200 rs is the top spec naked speed right. triple right it has uh, mechanical Olin's bits. It's 180 mm-hmm. horsepower. I uh, believe it's style calipers. Um, it's whiz bang good. Right. The RR comes with the semi-active electronic suspension and the retro half fairing right. uh, design with the round LED headlight. So this is going after a, and that brings a. That comes with a uh, what is it? Almost a twenty five hundred dollar premium. That's that's still a better, you know, price maybe value than a, pan, uh, a Street Fighter V four S or an Aprilia Tuono V four factory. Actually, I don't even think the factory Tuono comes with electronics, does it? Electronic yeah, it does. suspension. It does. Okay, so I think this is probably closer to that thing's pricing because the factory I think is around twenty one thousand dollars. Looking that up. It's a more speak. powerful bike about right though. Um, you know what's interesting? Uh, da, 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 da. I haven't had a chance to jump on the new Speed Triple, but I rode the old one, and it was very—I wouldn't even call it a Street Fighter, call it a Roadster. Like it lost that that rawness, that that yeah. sp- like ridiculous sportiness. It's such a rounded. It's like a, it's a well-rounded package. Don't get me wrong; it's a really good bike. You tell me right now, you're gonna go buy a Speed Triple? Be like, yeah, fuck yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious to see what what the new one is because it's got 
I think I think Triumph did a really good job of addressing kind of like my complaints about the speed triple and being like, all right, let's give this thing some balls. Let's you go. Wanna, you want to ride one? Yeah, I do. You got one? Hell yeah. Okay. We just took one in on trade. It's oh. a 2022 model. I'll come by tomorrow because I can start riding motorcycles again. Yeah, yeah. Back uh, yeah I've actually I was um, going to take it on one night just to see what it's like because I've been dying to ride it. It's kind of like a key party. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. It's interesting, right? I'm not used to Triumph's speed triple lineup being such a spendy bike they've always sort of been the more factory is 19.5 oh wow Twenty of v4 factory 19 man i always thought the factory 1100 used to be like twenty thousand and change you're thinking of the rsv4 no i was just on uh, i was just on a prelease website maybe um well it's confusing because you have the 20 this is this is i'm looking at their website right now Twenty of v4 16 grand Twenty of v4 factory 19.5. Tuono V4 Factory 1100, 19,000. Tuono V4 RR 1100, 15.5. Like, there's, it's really easy to get, like, what, yeah, which, which lot, bike are we talking about? Which here? So, this is actually more money then. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It, the pricing feels expensive to me. It does. And that's, Triumph has done that before. I remember when they did the Thruxton RR, and it was also like a $20,000 motorcycle. I remember just scratching my head, like, uh, why? What is there on this bike that makes it worth that much more money? Because if you look at all of their components on there, it's not like it it doesn't blow my mind. So I don't know if Triumph is trying to say, hey, we are a luxury brand European model, you know, uh, uh sorry, luxury European brand, and our models should be priced as such. And it's just the old school motorcyclist in me that's used to seeing speed triple sell on the you know showroom floors for fifteen thousand dollars or less. So it's a little bit of a sp uh, sticker shock for me, but I sort of had that same reaction when I saw the new Hayabusa's price. Like, holy shit, where'd you guys come up with that extra money? Yeah. So do, do I think this is worth the money? Uh, maybe, but looking at its competition, they're all about the same price. So what is the competition in your mind? Uh, Tuono V4, Street Fighter V4? Yeah, Tuono V4, Street Fighter, S1000R. I would say those are bikes that compete with the Speed, tri speed Triple 1200 RS, not the RR. The RR is weird because it's got this half fairing, and there's yeah. not a lot of, not a lot of that in this space. That, I think honestly, I think the I think the Tuono is the only one really because that one sort of has ah, half fairing fair. too. It's got a lot of fairing to it. To me, that's never been a full naked bike. That's fair. That's a fair uh, critique. Um, so then it's basically priced more or less the same. They're within thousand dollars of each other. Similar components. Similar components. Very similar components actually. The Tuono. I, I think they both have cast wheels. Which is yeah. Funny odd right yeah um i think this is i i think it's a striking motorcycle i, I really like that they've sort of done this weird semi-retro looking look to it with the single round yeah. headlight on there yeah um i'm sure it's probably the one thing that everybody will talk about whether they love it or not so i kind of like that the bike doesn't look bland i think it's going to be polarizing which has always been the case with the uh speed triple anyways you know when he used to have the big round bug eyes up front that they changed and a lot of people, you know, old school motorcyclists, well, Triumph lovers anyways, were like, eh, it lost its thing. Um, I would like to ride it. I would like to see how it is. I think it would be a great uh, sport bike to own. It's interesting that Triumph finally has a large bore sport bike again. It's been a while. So that's the thing for me. This, what I feel like Triumph just did was like, we're too chicken to make a Daytona 1200. I know, I'm surprised they didn't name it that. 
Well, I think I think because if they did, then you start comparing it to a Panigale V4. Yeah. Then you start comparing it to an RS V4. Then you start comparing it to a Buell 11. Right. Wait, no, you don't. Um, <laughs> but you, you get in a very competitive space all of a sudden. Yeah. Whereas like if you call it a Speed Triple RR, it's like, it's not a... No, no, no. This like isn't it's a, a sporty bike. This isn't a super bike. Right? It's a sporty. This it's is a just, sport bike. This is a, this is a, this is a cafe racer. This is something different. So you can kind of get away with that because like 180 horsepower, well, that's not slow. Oh, uh, semi-active suspension. Well, that's pretty cool. Right. I- IMU, cornering ABS, traction, wheelie control, five-inch TFT dash. Okay, well, I got all the cool shit on it. 439 pound wet. I mean, that, these are all good numbers. You're not going to go race it, but you probably go do a track day on it. Fuck yeah. You probably carve the shit out of a canyon on it. So it's an interesting like, hey, we kind of just straddled this space. Do you do that at twenty one thousand dollars i don't know it's a weird premium but price mike you know i don't hate it it looks more comfortable than a full bore super bike just looking at the photos of it and how the handlebars set up and how the sort of like that rider triangle i'm looking at the rider triangle compared to the speed triple is definitely definitely more more aggressive I, I haven't seen the rider triangle to compare to like a more proper super bike but i think you're probably right where those are probably a little bit more aggressive like it makes me think of, you know, like a a Ducati Super Sport or something like that. That's where it is. If Ducati came out with uh whatever CC, not a nine fifty Super Sport, that's what this is. Man, if Ducati did a, it's funny. Initially, we were like, they should take this monster twelve hundred and turn it into a Super Sport. That'd be fucking cool. But then, like, what if they did a V four? v4 i don't think you need a v4 for that not really but remember i was uh, at some point i would take that super super quadro the monster the testostrata yeah 1200 motor maybe that'd be that'd be a bitch of motor 150 horsepower super sport yeah i'd be all over it that'd be that's 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 what that's the competitor it doesn't exist no that would have been the competitor it doesn't so this sort of sits in its own spot it does it's that's it's a fascinating motorcycle for me I guess you can sort of compare it to the Kawasaki H2SX. It's kind of got that styling. Kind of. I mean. Price-wise, they're pretty close. That one's more expensive, actually. The Kawasaki's more money. It's got the supercharger. It's 200 horsepower. Yeah, it's way more power. It's got But bags. it's also heavier. Um, yeah. They're not really. I don't think those buyers are the same buyer. But oh. it, it is that kind of like we've created a weird little space. I do wonder. I wonder who they're expecting that's going to buy this thing. I think it's going to be a. 40 to 50 year old white dude who wants a triumph that's going to keep up with other big board bikes the on the street. You know what this bike, I know exactly what bike this competes with. It just hit me. R1250 RS. Ooh, holy shit. That is a bike you do not see a lot of. You don't. And I'm surprised about it. I think it's a good bike. I rode, I rode the shit out of one in Germany uh, about six years ago. It's actually when I broke my collarbone last. <laughs> uh, it's really heavy. It's a little underpowered. It's really heavy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's but really it's on heavy. the R. It's on the R platform. Those yeah, are just it, big, long, heavy bikes. It's like five hundred eighty-five pounds. Yeah, you know, it's as heavy as a Hayabusa without the power. Not a bad bike. Don't get no. me wrong. Not a bad bike, but doesn't do very much well. But it's still more of a sport touring with more focus on sport. Capital S sport. Yeah, yeah. Capital S. Whereas this is still a sport bike, this but sport not bike. a super bike. Right, And I always thought this segment was dying. And I think it's an important segment to keep around because I don't need a full tuck motorcycle on the street. 
but I'd like to have that, you know, where I go to a canyon and just be able to whoop some ass on it. We we just talked about why the V2 is a better track bike right. than a V4 right. uh, Panigale. This is the same thing where it's like, you know what? Like, yeah, are there better bikes I could take on the track? Sure. Totally. But they are garbage on the street. Yeah. This, this I would is, ride on the street. This is a bike I would gladly ride on the track, probably, and be perfectly happy riding at nine-tenths of my pace and having a great time. Yeah. And then at the end of the track day, just ride at home because it's a great bike on the street. Whereas like a Panigale V4, like I don't review super bikes on the street. Because oh, for a good it's reason. Like, it's just, no, how was the bike on the street? Horrible. It was horrible. It was all, everything about it was horrible. <laughs> it, it was burnt my ass, literally. Was, the suspension wasn't enough. My ass hurts. My back hurts. My arms hurts. It was loud. Everything, everything about that was bad. No, it's a track bike. That's what it's designed for. Yeah. If this thing truly weighs less than 440 pounds wet, that's, I mean, that's just a nice, it sounds like a good all around bike. The yeah. weight is not crazy. Not crazy. The power is great. The Triples torque is rad. great. It's a triple. You know, so it's going to have nice mid, you know, like meaty middle range on it. It's got a ton of torque. What is it? 90 foot pounds? 92.2 according to your numbers. Yeah, buddy. Dude, this is a healthy bike. I like it. I don't know if I $21,000 like it, but I like it a lot. I like this bike at 19 something. Oh yeah. If this bike was, if this bike was just shy of 20 grand, I think it would be even better bike. And I'm really surprised mm. that it's not there, but. It's the suspension that's doing it. That's what it is. Because that suspension is at least a two grand price increase. Yeah. And you can't have those things be side by side and be like, hey, these bikes are virtually identical. Same price tag. Right. One's got better suspension. <laughs> or one I would like to ride this very much. This yeah. is a very, very exciting looking bike to me. Yeah. it's Because I was super excited when they finally updated the standard speed triple and you had these great numbers that finally competes with its... right you know, it's it's able to stand up to its competition finally. Absolutely. And like you said before, if anyone came to me three years ago and says I'm buying a Speed Triple, I'd be like, fuck yeah, you should buy one. It's an awesome bike. But if you were like, oh, I'm thinking about a Tuono V4 and a Speed Triple, like you should probably ride both before that, you. That was the thing. Like if you were going to go buy a Speed Triple, it, it wasn't a KTM. Right. It wasn't a Tuono. Right. And, then, and now the Street Fighter's out. It's definitely not a Street Fighter. Oh, fuck no. I don't even think it's in that Street Fighter category. No, it's like maybe like a, a Honda CB1000-ish. Yeah. I think they were actually pretty close in price at that time. Yeah. So. I like it. I'm super excited about it. I think it's hella handsome. I'm sure everyone's got their hella opinions handsome. on there. I like that. Hella handsome, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, I dig it. I like that Triumph sort of stuck to their guns on the on the frame on these things. You can always look at a Speed Triple and see the exact same frame design. Yeah, it really is. They didn't stray too far away, did they? No. No, I think they did a good job. The styling's good. Um Power's good. The numbers are good. I can get into it. I just, that price tag, that price tag's a toughie for me. It's cheaper than a Super Veloce. Yeah, it is. And, and, and truthfully, that's, that's, that's like the only real bike in this category. And my complaint with the Super Veloce is there isn't a 1000 CC version. No. And you know that's going to be 30 grand. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, easily. It'd be like 40 <laughs> grand. Um, MV's got to get off the 800. Like that 800 engine is fantastic. But it's really hard to justify like a thirty thousand dollar eight hundred cc bike. I mean, unless again you're crazy uh, uh, in love with that brand, and I get it. It's be I I will still say that is one of the most beautiful bikes I've ever seen. Yeah, it's breathtaking. It, it's one of those things. But like like the Turismo Veloce, for example. Right. Like it's like yeah, great bike. It's interesting. I just wish it had more horsepower. Yeah. I wish it was a twelve hundred instead of an eight hundred. Right. 
It's funny though, because we're always like, yeah, less power, you can have more fun with it. But also like the price tag should kind of come along with that. Like if the Ducati V2 was 30 grand, I'd be like, fuck this shit. Yeah. I'll buy the V4. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, da, 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 da. An interesting bookend to this. Ooh. The Moto Guzzi V100 Mandelo. V100 Mandelo. Which we so know. This is the, like this is their 100th anniversary bike, basically. So, the, yeah, this is, this is Moto Guzzi's 100th birthday. Um, they're going to build uh, new parts to their factory. Uh, they're building a pretty... They're going to have electricity in this factory, finally? You know what's so funny? Um, last, time I'm, last time I was in Italy? Recently. Not recently. It's like three years ago. I got to go to the Moto Guzzi factory, which is right next to Lake Como. And I got to go to the Vespa factory. <laughs> two you, vastly different. You experience. could not pick two factories from the same <laughs> brand that are more different from each other because that Moto Guzzi line, like that's the same line that they've been using since like Forever. World War II. Forever. Like that building has not that. That's like the land before time. And then you go to Vespa and it's like all automated, high tech, yeah. super state of the art. They're using RFID tags and <laughs> robots and AI computers are running around. While and, he's over there cleaning things. Yeah, exactly. Where meanwhile, Johnny like, Five is totally alive. <laughs> back in Mandela, Giuseppe's still like polishing the same thing. <laughs> um, so like it is, it's like, oh, wow, you're finally going to invest in a new factory. Like they, they needed it. It's about time. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where this announcement came from is they're saying like, oh, we're going to build a new factory. And then we've got this new bike that we'll tell you more about in like a I appreciate that for the 100th anniversary, this bike is totally different than all the other bikes I've ever made. It's water-cooled? Yeah. Holy shit. Um, Probably going to have real horsepower. The rumor is a little over 1,000 cc's, so let's... I think we can assume like 130 horsepower or more. I wouldn't be surprised. It's probably going to be just under 500 pounds. I would expect like 460, 470, Mm -hmm. um, 17-inch wheels. It's got kind of the more... Budget Brembo brakes looks like budget suspensions. So maybe it's a cheaper bike. Well, Moto Guzzi doesn't really make expensive bikes. No, no, no they're 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 the affordable Italian brand. They you really, can buy a brand new Moto Guzzi for under twelve, thirteen thousand dollars and have like an Italian bike in your garage. My favorite feature about the V eighty five TT adventure bike: the price tag. Oh yeah, it's like what thirteen grand. Yep, comes with everything you want electronic wise. Bags, the whole nine yards. It's it's great. It's a great bike. That's that's one of the most underrated venture bikes that no one talks about, like in these in these shootouts and these lineups and stuff. Because it's because it doesn't fit in any one category. That's the thing. It's like its own little bike. Well, technically, it's a middleweight. Is it though? It is. It makes like forty horses. No, it doesn't. I know. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> make. It makes like a uh, hundred like or something. <laughs> no, I think what it does. It? I think it's like I thought it was. Uh, Actually, no, I went on that launch. <laughs> I want right? to say it's either eighty <laughs> or a hundred. It's an 850 cc motor. I know that. I'll bet on 80. It's a little air cooled motor. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I thought it was like 75, 80 horses. Where is that little fucker? Where is that little fucker? Uh, 80 sounds right. That thing's like the KLR of uh, like luxury branded adventure bikes. Like I've ridden (laughs) it. It doesn't excite me in any way, shape, or form, but I like it. I like everything about it. It'd be easier to find it on my website. This V100 has interesting design on it. I I like it, but I'm also meh about it. The front end just looks like, you know, a mid-2000s katana, but the back end's super handsome. Like, from the engine back, it's a breathtaking-looking bike. From the radiator forward, I'm like, okay, 2006 called. They want their katana 1200 back. 
80, 80 Italian horses. So let's call it like 78 American <laughs> horses. <laughs> okay. That's good. Um, but yeah, I remember it being enough. It's, it's, uh, it's right up there with with the uh, Teneri 700 mm-hmm. in terms of of, of horsepower, yeah, but not performance. Not performance, not off road performance, right. but a better street bike by far. Oh god, yeah. Um, so it's, it's like, where do you want to fall on that spectrum? Where do you want to fall on that spectrum? And I it's think got a good bike, like heritage look to it. I think that bike would do everything a adventure touring person wants to do, as long as they're not trying to get crazy with like single track shit. Like you can take it down any forest service road or any highway and be comfortable. Oh, for sure. Right? It doesn't have the greatest ground clearance. Mm, it's not horrible. It's not horrible, but it's not great. Like pretty much everything else in this category has got better ground clearance than this thing. I mean, I don't actually keep track of that. That'd be an interesting spec to look at. Uh, but again, I, I don't think if anybody was telling me, hey, I want to buy a V85 TT, I'd be like, fucking it, go for it. Great bike. Have fun. And you'll be the only one in town. Yeah. Well, because if, their dealer network sucks. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, that's, that's the issue. Um, but that's like the number one issue. I think I even said that in my review. Like, it's like, yeah, it's a great bike if you can find one. Um, and you gotta be, if you're into that look too, if you're into that retro look. Yeah. And there's no one else really doing that, doing that well. Um, what I like about this Mandela that you kind of touched on, you're kind of like lamenting that 2000s aesthetic. I kind of like it. You do? Because that's exactly like, what it is. Again, this is terrible radio, but like this part of the bike, I think is breathtaking. <laughs> you just show me everything except yeah. for the headlight forward. The bike, like, I'm not saying like, like, oh man, I'm going to get yelled at by Miguel. <laughs> I'm not saying like it's going to win any awards for like that is the most beautiful motorcycle. It I don't will. have for the, for the back four fifths. Beautiful. I don't have a tremendous amount of product lust for it, but I look at that and I get like a strong late nineties, early two thousands huh? vibe. Huh? And I think for Moto Guzzi, that's perfect. Yeah. Like that look, that's a, that's a Moto Guzzi look <laughs> just as like the T like the T 85, uh, T 85, what is that? V85 TT? Calculator? T85? T85? TI85? TI85? Jesus Christ. Man, we're aging ourselves. That, you know what that is? That's the dyslexia. That's fair. The V85 TT. That's right. Um, this is why I can't do ad reads in less than 20 <laughs> minutes. Takes 15 um, takes. It's fine. That's why you heard a pre-recorded ad earlier. Let <laughs> 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 tell you why he takes that talk. I was about to say like the the V eighty five TT doesn't have a Gucci look. I guess, I guess it does. Now that I'm looking at it, it's just weird. It's just a little too weird. But I think that's Gucci. Gucci's a little weird. I would love to see Gucci do it's a the Portland of motorcycles. It is very much. Um, I think if they did a round headlight naked version of this, it would probably be a big hit. Oh yeah. Okay, so that's how we make it up to Miguel. There's yep. your next idea, Miguel. That one is almost free. We just want five percent. Um, no, I just don't want to get hit in the face. He's a big guy. Is he? He's dude, he's like six five. He's huge. How the fuck does he ride these things? They're tiny. I think I think he designs them his size, and then they just <laughs> shrink it by 80%. I think that's literally what they do. Um, yeah. Definitely a round headlight naked version of this thing would be killer looking. Oh, I like this headlight. I, I get into do. it. The more I look at it, the more I'm like, hmm. Hmm. It's just, I'm telling you, all I see these is were my like 2006. Years. Yeah, they're Katana my, 1200, which they're my was not known for its excitement. They're my formative years of motorcycles. 
I like the heads. The, the heads match the wheels. Yeah, I like that. Gold wheels. You know me. Especially with this green one. You like like green? The green one, that's, that's a handsome bike to me. I like the red. You would. The thing that's interesting about this bike, active arrows. Yeah. Very interesting. And very interesting that they're showing that off on this bike. That, that that's something that's coming out on a Guzzi first, and it's on a bike like this. It's interesting though, right? Because again, this is this is a tall handlebar bike, so clearly rider comfort's a thing, and that active arrow mm -hmm. really is sort of concentrating on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I dig what smart. they're doing here. I can't hate it. Nope, not even a little. I can't, and I and I really feel like this bike's going to be like very affordable. Like while we're complaining about the Triumph being too expensive, this bike's going to be like you're going to buy two of these. I mean, for this every green Triumph. one has got Brembo and Olin's on it, man. I think that's the upspec one. Yeah, that's got to be. Well, they both have Brembos, but they both. Hmm, it does have Olin suspension. So that's got the red one though. The red one doesn't. Now, the red one looks like who knows what that is. It's probably so the red one's the affordable one. Yeah. What's with this? Is so funny. What's with the no? Never mind. I was about to say. I thought. I thought the green one had a seat cover like a cowl, but it doesn't. And I was like, what's with these Italians making more expensive versions have seat cowls, but the other ones don't? I like the wheels on it. The wheels yeah. are real handsome. Really good. I like this bike. You know, even though the front end doesn't make me excited, I like the rest of it. Ah, oh, get over it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm all about it. Yeah, this green one, this green one's beautiful. Um, and it looks comfy. Look at that. Look at that seat. Look at that rider triangle. That oh, looks yeah. comfy. Um, you know what this is, Shaheen? I, I just I just figured out what my review is. Okay. This is the return of the sport tour. It is. This is the return of the 1990s FZ01, F, uh -huh. FZ1. Which was a great bike. Which is a great bike that Yamaha killed for no reason and then came out with an MT10. Which they obviously didn't think about how that sounds in English. <laughs> um, the thing that's missing from this bike, hard bags. That's the only thing I want this bike to have. But they need doesn't. to be like they need to be contoured to the body. Contoured, just just like yeah. not the, not an afterthought. No, like stylized, contoured hard bags. I don't want soft like bags. Color match. I want streamlined, beautiful uh -huh. hard bags. And Moroguzzi, listen to me. If you're going to do the hard bags, since the bike's got active arrow on there, make those hard bags automatically lock and unlock with your bike. Fuck you. Fucking make that's it. A, that's an idea. Make it Make it where now you are the leading I can't edge. believe you gave that for free. You wouldn't, you wouldn't talk about whatever that fucking handlebar thing is yeah. that you gave that for free? Yeah, that one's for free. All right. Because I think the fucking motorcycle industry needs to start embracing that. I'm sick and tired of this shit, man. <laughs> $24,000 Ducati Multistrada, and I got to take the fucking key out and undo the you know, rear bag. Unlock my panniers like a sucker. Jesus wept. <laughs> Come on. This is 2021. Jimmy <laughs> oh, Christmas. Uh, speaking about things in 2021 that we need or don't need, I can't, I don't know. I, I, like lost, this, I lost I don't know what's thread. going on with your brain. I, I lost just, it. I feel like I just watched you reconnect, reset. I, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Yamaha YZF R6 returns to the USA for 2022. But like kind of. But like maybe kind of. <laughs> so what it actually is, it's the R6 GYTR, which in my head, I always say GTYR. So I'm amazed I got through that story. You did it. I'm proud of you. Yeah. No, GYTR. Genuine Yamaha something racing give your trophy I don't know. um but the so this is this is a track only r6 um we should probably back this story up okay uh last year came out yamaha's killing the r6 sad 
the state of 600 cc super sport market stuff though they didn't basically didn't want to make it for euro five right uh yamaha europe was like don't worry we'll still sell you a race version it's literally called the r6 race uh, i sent an email to yamaha usa being like hey are you guys going to do what europe's doing and offer a track model no reply but the bike disappeared from the lineup so i guess we got our answer now i think the usa is like hey europe actually sold some of those bikes we can sell some of those bikes too so it's the same kind of deal uh very very limited you're gonna have to order it through your dealer you're gonna have to put down a deposit uh you're probably gonna want to do that now do we have price we do and uh hold on to your butts because it's gonna be eighteen thousand four hundred dollars what does that come with it comes with a lot um, I mean, is it like a built track bike a kind that you'd be this like this is cool. a built track bike there's okay. there's no lights no anything it's got okay. a race bodywork with primer uh akropovich full exhaust okay GYTR ECU wiring harness. It's got the ABS. Like everything you needed to do to take an R6 and make it a race bike is there. It's done. I don't know if they drilled safety wire holes and everything for you there. So it's still cheaper than a, I don't know, Kramer. Still cheaper than a Kramer. Um, the thing, I think if you were going to take off the showroom a brand new R6 mm-hmm. and make it into a race bike, this is a great deal. Absolutely. The problem is I don't know anyone that's taking brand new motorcycles off the dealership floor and right. racing them. Except for like race teams. Yeah. And then that's still going to be kind of awkward because it's like the homologation stuff now is a little yeah. weird. So I don't know who's buying this bike, but mm. I like that it exists. R6 is a good bike. R6, R6 is a great bike. It's It was one of the saddest things to hear that it went away. I But I'm I'm with you. I don't know anyone in my circle who's like, oh, I'm going to go buy a brand new R6 and turn it into a track yeah. bike. Most people, because the model, this this generation, if you can call it that, came out in 2017. So there's been three years of new bikes on the market right. that are now used bike market. And this bike that's coming back is not really like a ground-shattering new motorcycle. No, it's the 2017 bike with, right. with race bodywork and stuff on it. Well, I can go on Craigslist. Yeah. And pick one up for way under 10 grand. That's my point. Like, even like, even if you got one of those 2017 bikes, or let's say like last year was 2020 in the US. Let's say you picked up one in 2020. It was 12 grand. It's probably worth, well, crazy prices now. Let's say it's <laughs> worth nine. Right. Okay. It's worth nine. Are you going to put another nine into it? Does, does the Yamaha kit, is that $9,000 worth of kit? Not really. No. Maybe your time is probably worth something, but not really. I don't know. The price is a little, a little high for me. It's an interesting price, but I think at the end of the day, they, I think they know their market. This is this is the thing. I think they know their market. I think they know exactly like okay, there's like twenty people that need these bikes. Yeah, that's that's about all we really want to bring in. It's about twenty. That's like a that's a that's a container. I mean, again, I'll go back to Kramer. There are plenty, not plenty, but there's enough people buying Kramers for Yamaha to go. Well, why the fuck aren't we selling these things yeah. for less money? And giving people a bike they're already used to and know that it works. Stock motor, stock motor. Kramer's making more power and weighs like 150 pounds less. So, although, yeah, $10,000 more on the price tag. Right. I just like the fact, and I I think I said this in the comment section today to someone. I want every manufacturer to follow Aprilia's lead with a factory of works program. It's like, oh, can I buy a race prepped, just like this bike is, you know, totally prepped, got all the little doodads and farkles and dongles and diddly doos that I need to make it work right for the racetrack. Right. And just get it straight from the factory. Because not 
everyone wants to make a race bike on their own. I think it's kind of a fun thing to do, but I understand that's not everyone's cup of tea. And I think this is this is a part of that. I'm like, great. Sign me up on it. Now offer me an R1, you know, GYTR and an R3 GYTR and make that a whole factory thing that I can call up my Yamaha dealer and be like, hey, like in three months, I want my race bike to show up. Turnkey race bike from Yamaha. Great idea. Yeah. Um, woo boy. Nothing. Woo boy. Nothing Look at you. happened here. Look at you. Reflexes like a cat. Reflexes of a cat that's awake. I'm looking at you, Coda. Where'd you go? She's We're somewhere. good for radio. Just in case you guys didn't know what happened, because you didn't, because you can't see it, I damn near dra- dropped my glass of water. All over my shit. And then I cut, but it's water. All over my shit. Your shit would be cleaner. Probably. I need to clean. <laughs> uh, if you want to get one of these bad boys, you got to get it. You got to get into your dealership now. Uh, deliveries are in April 2022. Just in time for the racing season. Well, is it? It's kind of late. But I like it. I get behind it. A little worried about the price tag, but I understand it. Um, Yeah. That's all I got for the show, Shaheen. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like there was something we we're supposed to cover. Oh, uh, didn't you have a listener question? You had a listener question. Hold you on. Had... Let me go to the listener question. Um, you know what I like? What? I like that we, last show, we talked about the Yamaha Looter. I think it was actually the outtake. <laughs> and I was like, we have exactly two listeners that have this bike. How many people got in touch with us? Dude. Two people. Two people. Two people. There they are. We Called found it. them. Called it. And and the one writer, uh, Ant- Antony, took some really nice pictures of it and sent it to us. In fact, I would like to request that our listeners please do this more often. Take some nice pictures of your bikes and send them to me via email so that I can post it because other people like seeing what other people ride. Oh, yeah. My favorite part of going to any motorcycle show is walking the parking lot. Sure. I love seeing what other people ride. I want to see how they're doing it, what they're doing with it, like... Especially the, you got something funky like an eluder. Fuck no yeah. one's, like I said, no one's seen one of those in the wild. The elusive eluder, this one I called it. I and you know what? I, the photos that Anthony took of it just makes it look really handsome. It's there on the side of an open road. You got the what do you pay for it? Like 15 grand? Yeah. That's like 10 grand off MSRP. Dude, that's huge. That's awesome. Well, okay. Understand, like, like back back that up a second. Okay. That means there was a Yamaha dealer. That was so motivated to get that off his dealership floor that he was willing to take ten thousand dollars off MSRP. Dear Anthony, here's a bike for you. I mean, I talked a little bit of shit about that last show. You take ten grand off that price tag, I get real yeah, excited I, real I quick. Will, I will shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I get over a lot of things for ten grand. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. Yeah, I, I'm 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 with him for that kind of price. There's no way. There's no way I would argue with this bike. It's suddenly the best bagger on the road, as far as I'm concerned, at that price. At yeah, that price, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd overlook so many things. It's like um, when Buell was going out of business, right? And you could you could get an 1125 CR. I think I just fucked that name up. No, that's right. CR R CR. I had a weird thing for the CR. And that bike, I can't remember what that bike was new, but you could pick one up for like six grand. Yeah, when when that. they were in receivership, and I was like. I get on that bike for six grand. It wasn't worth the 15 or whatever it was when it was out. But for six grand? Hell yeah. That's a rad bike for six grand. I can overlook a lot of things for six grand. That's always the case. I, I think that's such an important thing, right? Because, you know, manufacturers will set prices on motorcycles based on what it is. And you ask for it enough times and you're consistent with it. People just go, that's the price of the thing. 
But if you're a manufacturer that is known for sort of dropping your pants for the price of your motorcycles and people expect that and the value is gone. And we deal with that all the time on the dealership side because, you know, if you bring me a, you know, I don't know, 2014, 2013 V-Rod, and you're like, oh, I'm top dollar for this thing. I'll look at you in the eyes and go, you didn't pay top dollar for it. I know so. Yeah. I know that Harley dealerships were just begging people to buy these things. Yeah. And so it's lost its value. So now when you want to trade it in, it's worth bupkis. It's just not how it works. And so if you are a manufacturer that just right off the bat takes thousands of dollars off the price of the bike, you've just fucked the value of that thing for everyone. Yeah, I'm thinking of a few brands off the top of my head. Uh-huh. What rhymes with RC4? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the thing. It it and I've talked about that, right? It, it's it's all about the language that the dealerships use. It's all about the presentation that the dealerships use. And you as a manufacturer, it's your job to go out there and sort of make sure that they're all speaking the same language and and sort of at the very least trying to convey the idea of the value that this bike has behind it. It's interesting to me, like when you see a bike, like like a great example, um, Husqvarna 701 Svartbalen. Mm-hmm. When that bike came out, Viplin too, when those bikes came out, they were $13,000. They were way up there. And I remember riding that bike, and I remember riding my review, like, this is a fantastic bike. It is worth $9,000 tops. Yep. And I remember getting a lot of pushback on that. And then, like, a year or two later, the price gets dropped $9,000. Because uh-huh. that's what it was. Because there was nothing different from it from a 690 Duke. No. It's the exact same bike with different bodywork, different handlebars, different headlight. Like, the core is the same. So where's the premium package, especially when the smart plan, there was nothing premium about it. Like they put a lot of like bullshit budget parts on it. And you're like, this feels really cheap. Yeah. This feels real chintzy. Why am I paying a $5,000 markup when I'm, I actually feel like I'm getting less of a bike. And I think that's the thing that brands get wrong too. It's like, you need to know what your bike's worth in the market and comparatively. Like when you do this, like when we like this 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 Moto Guzzi or or like what we just did with the, that Speed Triple. If you don't know what your bike's worth compared to its competitors, you're gonna get lost, and then you're gonna go out. You're gonna find out like, hey, it's the middle of summer. We gotta start hammering prices down because yeah. we fucked up pricing. We got greedy, and now you've taken the perceived value away from it. Yeah, and, it's and then interesting. You fuck, and then you fuck the used market because of that. I mean, I have to imagine that somebody in the manufacturer side does some kind of a comp, right? Like they do in the real estate market. You have to do a, you know. Kind of a comp so. of the of the competition and see what their shit that's comparative to yours is going for. It's you would think that's the way it's done. Sometimes it's done the other way though, where it's like, how much did that cost us? Well, you know, this bike really needs to be this much to make sense for us. And you're like, well, that's not that's not what it is. No. That's not what the market's gonna pay. Like you can dictate price all you want. And that'll get you only so far. At the end of the day, it's going to be like what the consumer thinks it's worth. Right. Um, that's a disconnect for a lot of brands, especially coming over from Europe to the U.S. or coming from Japan to the U.S. Like when it's a different, when that home market is somewhere different. Yeah, I feel like they have the mentality of if you build it, they will come. A little bit. And maybe that works at some level, but I think it needs to be a super special offering for it to for it to really work. But if you're just going to make hayabusa and just you're gonna up the price thousands of dollars like this is what killed modus i believe it 
you know, because I, I understand. Like, they look at that bike and they're like, this bike needs to be 30 grand for us to make make a profit yeah. in the volumes that we're doing. And you're like, cool. There's nothing about this bike that's worth 30 grand. This no. bike is worth. You could literally buy a Kawasaki Concourse 1400 and have it do the exact same fucking thing for half the price. 15 grand? Like, like <laughs> I, I don't know what I would price that bike at on my own, like, but it would have been considerably less. And you sit there and like, that's tough because it's like, that's the disconnect where it's like, well, you know, to get to that price, you need to make this many of them. Can you make that many of them? Okay, well, yeah, that's not the bike that you should build. Mm-hmm. It's, the same, like, it's the same issue that electrics have right now. You know, that was, that was Alta's challenge where it's like, you know, they saw it as soon as they made the price, not what they needed to make a profit, but what that bike was worth against its comps, right. sales shot up. And I don't know if... You know, that volume, like drawing the lines on that graph at the volume at that price would make sense with the costs and all that stuff. But it showed you like, yeah, well, if you make it price competitive, people will totally buy an electric. Mm-hmm. The problem is no one wants to spend twice as much over gasoline prices to buy an electric that maybe has less range and less horsepower and weighs more. Yeah. So I digress. <laughs> Words of wisdom brought to you by Pirelli. Brought to you by the Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 Sport Bike Tire. Hey. It's hot as hell. Hot as hell. Doesn't matter what you ride. If it's on it, it'll go better. Hey. Hey. Hey, hey you want a tire? Get your Tony got you a tire. Come down here, get a get a Rosso 4. Put hey. it on your bike. You'll uh, you'll go fast. Get a couple of two-tree Rosso 4s on your motorcycle. Suddenly it turns better. It stops better. It looks better. You feel better. You got a tire guy? I got a tire guy. Get you some tires. Get you for a price. <laughs> we should be used for all the ads. They should. I, it'll be amazing if they sponsor more shows. <laughs> Just amazing. <laughs> Just amazing. Um, What do we say, Shane? Let's get out of here. Uh, We say, you know, like I said earlier, send us emails with pictures of your motorcycles. Make them good pictures. Don't take a shitty picture with your phone and send it to me because I'll make fun of you. Yeah. And you know me. I don't make fun of people. Frame, but I'll frame make fun of you. Get, get a tripod get or something. Nice. You know, figure out just basic photography uh, 101. Bonus points if you got got a cat and put your cat in the photo. Oh, too. definitely. Or a puppy. Uh, you know, I'm a dog guy. So okay. Fair. fair. Out here. Um, yeah. So definitely take pictures of your bikes. Keep those dad jokes coming. I dig them. And uh, can I read the last one that no. made me laugh? Nope. I'm going to do it. I'm going to edit it out. Don't edit it out. I'm gonna this edit is it important. Out. Why did the cowboy adopt a dachshund? Because he's dumb. Somebody took. Tell somebody told him to get along, little doggy. Dumb. Get it, get along, little doggy. Get get it. Jensen, don't run away. Damn it. I'm edited this out. No one ever heard it. <laughs> um, anyways, uh Twitter at WeBrap Talk, Instagram at Brap Talk, email WeBraptalk at gmail.com, which by the way, somebody messaged us on Facebook and just wrote what the fuck's your email address? Why can't I find it? What the fuck? And I was like, you must be drunk. I'm not answering you. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to us, I say it at the end of every goddamn episode. <laughs> and then uh, Facebook, uh, Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast. If you are listening to us on the old Apple, Ooh, yeah, make sure you, you give us a rating. Good you, yeah. Like give it. us a little howdy doody. It howdy. helps us a lot so that people can find us. Yeah, how do you do, sir? Well, how, how, how you doing? I think uh, our rating's 4.8. Listen. Would love to get that up to a 4.9. It's probably you know? because you're not doing the introduction of my name long or loud enough. That's probably true. It has gotten shorter lately. I know. Yeah, sorry. Still, it's the it's the it's the shoulder. Yeah, no, for sure. It's hard. It's hard to scream when your shit hurts. You know? When the ribs were broken? <sighs> oh. Oh man. Oh. My favorite thing to do with my friends have broken ribs is trying to make them laugh. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, it's the worst. It's just terrible. You're a horrible human. This is like, ha, ha, ha. You're a horrible human. <laughs> All right. Good talk. All right. Safety third. Make good choices. Good talk. See you out there. I'm out of here. Bye. Shaheen, what's black and round and hot as hell? Uh, Pearly tires. Oh, wow. Look at you. Look at you. You got it. <laughs> That's the tagline. Hot as hell. Pearly Diablo Rosso Corso 4. Hot round. As hell. Black, hot as hell. Hmm. You're like that probably won't work as a jalapeno tablet. chocolate donuts. Hmm. <laughs> 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 that actually sounds good. Yeah, right. What a spicy. <laughs> Have you read spicy Mexican chocolate? No. Oh, dude, it's delicious. I mean, is that a euphemism? No, it's for real. No. Oh, it's so good. It's like dark chocolate, and it's got basically chili in it. Oh, it's, it's sweet, a little bitter, kind of, kind of spicy. I want that in donut form. Now you got my mind on that. Move over, Pearly. I want a donut. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how we're doing this ad. <laughs> just, just no clue. Just no clue. Uh, one of the outtakes I was going to do was just like all the times I fucked up the ad read. Like the dyslexia set in. It was it was so bad. It was like 20 minutes of like, Diablo Rosso 4, four. Oh, fuck it. Goddamn. And the cat came in. She's like, meow. I'm like, hey, Coda, can you got I'm trying to work. Diablo Rosso, meow. Shut up. I'm trying to work. Shut meow. up, Coda. I'm trying to get you fed. Yeah. Daddy's trying to make some money. <laughs> the Michelin pilot. Fuck. Wrong tire. Wrong tire. Wrong brand. Yeah. No, we'll just put the ad read in. <laughs> <laughs>